Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. But online, where the game starts. All right, folks, it's Jeremy Evans here, host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast. As always, thank you for being with us. This is episode 28 of season five. And uh, again, appreciate you making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. Uh, last week uh, and the week before, um, last few weeks, I've been overseas, uh, took a great trip to Wimbledon. Uh, see a client there, and I was able to see that terrific venue there. I uh, took a tour through Germany and Poland for uh, World War II Museum out of New Orleans. Terrific group. And then um, had a, a conference for the California Lawyers Association in uh, Barcelona. And then uh, took a trip to uh, Marrakesh uh, in Morocco. So um, missed you all last week, uh, but um, back this week. So happy to uh, to be with you. And we've got an interesting episode where we'll be talking about international sports and making a comparison. I was uh, lucky enough to do a panel uh, with another attorney uh, in Barcelona on comparing international sports law and some of the differences in not only the law, uh, but also really the industry in general. And so we'll walk through uh, some of those uh, highlighted differences uh, in this episode. So, uh, you know, international sports law can be both looked at and can looked at really in two ways, right? You can have, uh, you know, the law aspect, and then you can also have uh, sort of the industry aspect. So when you compare, let's say, you know, uh, international soccer to, uh, or football, as you might call it overseas, uh, to, let's say, football in the United States, or you might compare soccer in the United States to football overseas, right? So there's there's some interesting comparisons with a lot of differences uh, in terms of um, those different leagues. So uh, when we look at this, um, we can kind of see that um, th there's, there is some comparisons, uh, but I think for the most part uh, for this episode, we're going to be focusing on the differences. And I think when I look at this for one um, sports and international markets uh, outside the United States, are, are frankly more highly regulated by, by the central government or the federal government, if you will. And often you have ministers of sports or sport uh, that are appointed by the controlling government party, uh, and they serve at the uh, pleasure of the prime minister or the president of the country, um, depending on whether it's a, a parliamentary or some sort of um, you know bicameral system or tricameral system or where you have the checks and balances like you do in the United States where you've got 
you know, uh, executive, uh, legislative, and judicial. So just depending on the, the situation, but generally overseas, you have uh, a lot of parliaments, particularly in Europe, where you have a prime minister, and then you have a situation where um, you either have a king or a queen or some sort of royalty aspect, or even in some countries, you might have a president. But sometimes the president is more of a, a celebratory role or a role of like a sort of outlet focused, if you will. Um, but that all being said, and actually when I was in Barcelona, I got to meet the, the, um, uh, secretary of state for sport, um, for Spain. So these positions are, are, you know, might be comparable to sports league commissioners, in the United States on the private side, um, or even really a secretary of state, let's say, uh, in the United States, but just separated out, or you might have a secretary of defense, secretary of this, um, uh, you know, secretary of the treasury, that sort of thing. But overseas, they sort of have these secretary of states that are, um, you know, for sport. And of course, United States, this is just sort of an unheard of role. Uh, this is not something that exists. Uh, things are much more privatized here. And when it comes to sports, it's, it's more, um, these are private entities and the government does not necessarily get involved. Now, oftentimes you might have the Congress, somebody from Congress or Congress as a whole issue subpoenas or the president might make a statement um, about sporting leagues. And this will happen often when you have a strike and uh, through the players union or associate players association, or where there's important concerns like steroids uh, or antitrust activity. And then you might have Congress or the president either again, Congress might issue a subpoena to have people come and testify before them, or, you know, the president might issue a statement about, you know, hoping that the parties can come to some sort of deal, or he might have some comments in general, uh, which we've seen in the past. So that's one interesting highlight and difference. And of course, when things are more centralized that way, uh, you're generally going to get more laws and you're going to get more regulatory aspect to it, which is not necessarily the case in the United States. Now, of course, uh, which brings me to the next point, which is sports law in international markets is often codified by legislatures and parliaments meaning that there is a lot more international sports law in individual countries than there is in the United States. Uh, in fact, in the United States, there's very little, quote-unquote, sports law on the books, both federally and statewide and locally. Um, and actually, when I was at this conference, the uh, panelist that I was with that was from Barcelona had you know, made a comment that you know, really sports in America is really more like an industry. And that's true. Uh, if, if anything, it's more like an industry like Hollywood uh, or as entertainment is to Hollywood. And, um, and even though those industries are, are different industries, they often collide and are many, uh, in many ways combining on, on some fronts. Now, in the United States, there is sports agents that are regulated through, for example, the Miller, the Miller-Ayala Act in California. And of course, there's a Secretary of State application in California. Um, but there's no federally mandated position or federally mandated sports law really in that context, right? And if anything, as we saw with PASPA, which was the prohibition against sports betting, laws from a federal standpoint trying to commandeer the states to do something are almost always going to be found to be unconstitutional unless it's some issue um, that is directly mentioned in the United States Constitution as a federal power or uh, something that um, is sort of pervasive in federal law, something that uh, would make sense uh, constitutionally and would 
would pass sort of constitutional muster, if you will, to um, to have a law passed in, in that manner. But generally, um, that's not going to be the case. And of course, this is the issue going on with name, image, and likeness right now, or NIL, and that you have some some folks in Congress pushing for an NIL law. I just don't think it's going to happen from a federal standpoint. Number one, the problem of constitutionality, uh, you know, commandeering a state to do something where it already has a state law. There's no federal mandate to this. There's no federally sort of um, ref, federal reference to uh, any name, image, and likeness laws. This is all done through case law and now through state legislatures and now through a private entity of the NCAA, right? So, and of course, mainly through private institutions and public institutions. But um, again, there's not a federal law for this. So when you're looking at this from a, a legal standpoint, um, you know, sports law as a whole, you really have three areas that I can point to. Uh, one is sort of regulation of sports agents. You could also uh, say that, you know, obviously the regulation of attorneys as well through, through the different state bars and taking a bar exams and that sort of thing. Uh, you have NIL laws now on the books in uh, many of um, many of the um, states in the United States. And then, of course, um, you have sports betting, uh, which is now uh, post Murphy v. NCAA, where the NCAA, where the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court held that um, PASFA, which was a prohibition against uh, sports betting, was an unconstitutional because it commandeered the states to do something or to not do something in this context. And so Supreme Court said can't do that, and it opened up the proverbial floodgates, if you will, to sports betting, particularly uh, state legislatures passing laws to allow for sports betting and to allow some sort of threshold or licensing to occur to, to make it happen. Um, those are really the three big areas. Other than that, uh, there has been some legislative discussion around forbidding taxpayer-funded investment in stadiums. Um, and of course, antitrust law is always an issue that's brought before uh, Congress and the courts, particularly when there's a dispute between a team and the league or a player in the league or when an upstart league comes along. But as history has shown, any time that an upstart league comes along, usually they get bought out by the more established league, and uh, there's some sort of settlement in that regard. But that's really the body of law, uh, to my knowledge, when it comes to sports law. So when we talk about sports laws and industry, what we're really talking about is contracts and intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, uh, negotiations, uh, deal-making, arbitration, um, all of those types of things um, within the context of sports sort of, you know, athletes, sports businesses, sports leagues, that sort of thing. Uh, and then when you look at overseas markets, particularly in Europe and Asia, you look at brand sponsorships, right, which would fall in the sort of IP and contract uh, and um, sort of name, image, and likeness, if you will, uh, but on the brand side, um, which you normally wouldn't call it name, image, and likeness in that sense, but maybe just IP, so trademarks uh, and copyrights in this context, mostly trademarks. But um, when you look at Europe and Asia, the brands are most prevalent on the jerseys uh, to where maybe let's say, actually when I was in Barcelona, the the joke that was made by um, one of the panelists was that, you know, oftentimes kids uh, will look at a jersey of a particular team in Europe and think, oh, that's the Spotify team, you know, or that's the whatever banking team, or that's, 
you know, because they're not seeing the name of the jersey. Whereas the United States, it's very prominent to have the name of the jersey on the front, or sorry, the name of the team on the on the front of the jersey. And then you have you know, the name of the player and the number on the back and that sort of thing, or the number on the front as well. Uh, and it's been very taboo uh, to have anything on the jerseys other than the name of the team, the name of the player, the number, and then maybe now a patch here and there. And of course, uh, patches now have become patch sponsorships have become a lot more prevalent. And we're starting to see a lot more of that. Um, soccer is definitely something in the United States that has pursued more of this larger branding opportunity and to bring in more money. And that makes sense for me for major league soccer, because they have this connection to European soccer uh, to where there's a lot more of these brand smart uh, partnerships and sponsorships going on, particularly on a grander scale from let's promote as much of a product as we can on a Jersey was United States. It's been uh, not the case, but with MLS, it's sort of a newer league um, and they're looking to bring in additional dollars. Plus there was sort of uh, more of a, a recognition of this when you're comparing it to international leagues and for in for for the for the most part when you're looking at major league soccer you have a lot of folks who will watch major league soccer but also have a favorite team in you know in England or a favorite team in Italy or Spain or in the French league or in the German league right that's not necessarily the case with the other four big american sports the nba major league baseball the NFL or the NHL. There's no really rival leagues and there's not really an interest beyond the United, those United States leagues, right. Or United States and Canada leagues, if you will. But that's kind of been the case. Right. And um, so again, a interesting difference, right. Where you sort of have this uh, more acceptance of brand sponsorship sponsorships on, on the front of jerseys, not so much the case, in the United States. And if we can kind of go back to sports betting for a moment, um, in Europe, you might have a legislative body that will pass, you know, uh, laws that deal directly with sports betting and players and any sort of impropriety that goes along with that, any sort of regulation and discipline. Why in the United States, it's really through private law and collective um, or private associations, if you will, uh, and collective bargaining agreements that regulate and discipline players and, and league business. Now, I will note that it's interesting in the United Kingdom, for example, sports leagues like the Premier League are beginning to roll back sports betting focused relationships and partnerships and involvement in any sort of prevalence in the league. And it's because of issues of impropriety, stories coming out about players cheating, uh, you know, ref referees and umpires cheating, that sort of thing. Right. And in the United States, of course, will likely have a similar problem in the future. You know, anytime you introduce sports betting, Yes, it's good for tax dollars. Yes, it's good for um, increasing engagement. But there is these other issues of becoming addicted, uh, making you know becoming a habit. Uh, there's issues of finance, uh, and there's obviously issues of impropriety. These so things will all have to be regulated and looked at, and I and I think that we'll continue to see some uh, some legislation on the state state level uh, for for some of these issues with regard to the regulation of sports betting. So that's another interesting uh, caveat where in Europe, it's more of a centralized focused in the States. It's more of a state run focus or a privatization focus. Now, violence in sports is another difference in Europe. Uh, there's really little to no tolerance for this, uh, at least in terms of the laws on the books. Right. Um, of course, we've seen some some 
pretty interesting things happen with regard to um, uh, Zidane Zidane. If you remember uh, when he headbutted another player, or there was the other player Suarez who um, uh, bit one of the players. I think it was the player's uh, um, back or arm. But it's it's one of these things, and, and obviously those players were disciplined. And one of those things I think happened in World Cup stage. But um, I think he was um, dismissed from one or two matches. I think it was one match. But in the United States, for example, you take the National Hockey League and you have you know fist fighting, which is allowed, and and uh, the referees allow it to go for a period of time, and then the players are both sent to the penalty box. And you know. Europeans might say, well, you know, this is not great for sport and then this needs to, this needs to be regulated. You know, in Europe, I mean, there's really just no tolerance for this and there's regulations that uh, forbid this. There's, um, you know, there's just a lot of regulation and laws when it comes to violence in sport. Whereas the United States, there's really Im uh, immunity from this. You know, generally, if you're on uh, the court or you're on the field and, you know, you're not using a weapon or you're not, um, you know, doing some overt criminal act, if you will, and you're in the heat of the moment, you're playing a match and you charge somebody, you tackle somebody, you know, you even hit somebody in any sport, even beyond, you know, the uh, National Hockey League, you're not going to be charged with a crime. You're not going to be charged with, you know, assault and battery. You know, you're, you're probably going to miss a few games and you get fined for something, right? And, and these have been some pretty serious, you know, things on the field, for example, you know, you have a situation where you have a player taking off a helmet and hitting somebody with it. You have players stepping on other players, you know. So, again, nothing uh, to the extent of, um, you know, death on the field or serious injury in this way. Uh, you know, most most athletes, you know, are, are um, or have gone through, you know, uh, high levels of training. Um, they're sort of ready for competition. And in many ways, maybe the NHL is sort of an allowing fighting, uh, which is, I know, is a fan favorite, um, is something where it's like, you know, hey, maybe it lets off steam. It it sort of allows the players to, um, in a legalized way, have a fight versus, let's say, in baseball where you have a brawl or charging in the mound or something like this, right? So, again, uh, you know, sort of different ways to look at things, different sort of leagues and and sort of action, but. Uh, again, another difference between sort of, let's say, European or international and sort of uh, American or United States sort of sports, right? Now, of course, when you're looking at this from a practical standpoint, often agents and lawyers, when practicing globally, have to adhere, uh, adhere to multiple jurisdictions and registration requirements. Uh, this can be uh, pretty difficult uh, to manage, but it's something that people, um, I, I have seen people do. Um, arbitration in sport is is used globally, uh, something that is continuing to grow. Um, from a sort of global perspective, arbitration in sport is much more of a public entity, whereas in the United States, it's much more of a private thing. It's usually done through private arbitration, and it's usually governed by a collective bargaining agreement. And it's usually where commissioners have, um, some might say, unlimited uh, authority. Um short of appeals and any sort of civil litigation in court. And, uh, you know, you can look back at, you know, the Deflategate case, the Ray Rice case, all these different, uh, you know, things that have happened over the years uh, where arbitration was used, but then also there was some sort of uh, sort of civil litigation or uh, process that way. 
Whereas in Europe, it's it's pretty clear cut that you either use arbitration or it's much more of a public thing. Um, but again, of course, international sports arbitration and tribunals are, you know, some of the largest growing uh, legal bodies in areas of practice. Uh, but these are just some of the highlights and differences that um, that you know I've picked up on over the years. You know, so again, to recap, um, you know, in sort of comparing you know you know European United States sports in Europe you have much more of a centralized focus from the government standpoint in legalization and laws and you often have ministers of sport in Europe whereas the United States that position doesn't exist um, and, and it's much more of a state focus state laws local private entities um, there's very little state laws on the books um, you know, branding and sponsorships are done differently. There's much more of an acceptance of large brands taking a bigger focus on jerseys than the United States. Um, and then, of course, um, you have sort of this idea of collective bargaining agreements and players associations, uh, which were much more prevalent in the United States than they are overseas. Um, but uh, that's that's sort of the gist of it uh, in terms of um, – the differences between, you know, sort of European and or international and um, uh, American sports. But look, I mean, you can argue these things one way or another. People will, will obviously make the arguments that, you know, one system is better than the other. There's just a lot of differences. I, I think a lot of similarities as well. We shouldn't focus on too much in this podcast, but uh, there is some similarities that I'm sure many of you could point out. Um, but I think love of sport at the end of the day transcends all. Uh, I think, um, you know, there's there's definitely a passion for sports globally. And uh, as some folks might say, it's just different golf strokes for different folks, right? So pun intended. But um, uh, that's sort of uh, the case when it comes to comparing uh, international sports between, you know, Europe and Asia and uh, globally compared to the United States. But thanks again, folks, for listening in. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. We talk about entertainment, media, and sports law topics. As always, appreciate you being with us. Look forward to being back with you uh, next week. Thank you so much.